You're listening to the Misty Creek Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Misty Creek Community Church, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. Today's message is from Senior Pastor Stephen Street. I'm just a nobody. A nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul. You know, I guess next to... The, uh, the Prince of England, I, I am a nobody. Did you hear that? He's in the hospital. 99 years of age, and the Prince, Prince Philip, he's, he's in the hospital. And it's like all of England is about to shut down because the Prince, he's in the hospital. And then something else hit me that I, I'm really a nobody com- compared to some people. Did you know that the BBC recently reported that when the Queen of England passes away, by the way, she's 94, married to an older man, he's 99, when she passes away, that they are going to completely stop any humor whatsoever on the BBC. That was in an article when she dies. And they've already prepared for her to die. I'm serious, they have. They've already put back behind the stage, black suits. They've already got a documentary ready on her life. So when she passes away for at least two weeks, that's all you'll see and hear on the BBC is about her life. I don't think there's any disagreement that she's important and her husband's important too. But that's a rather interesting way to deal with the royal death, don't you think? I mean, certainly... Queen Elizabeth, she, she's been a symbol of dignity and unity and strength during her time on the throne. And yet here we are on the first Sunday of Lent. We just recognized Ash Wednesday this past Wednesday. We had a special service for that. And here we are on the first Sunday of Lent to continue the 40-day commemoration of the death of our monarch, our king, who makes this nobody somebody and makes all of you nobodies somebody, right? I mean, you are nothing without his power within you. The love of Christ is what compels you to love others and share his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, and the greatest gift ever known to humankind is his gift of eternal life. And he offers us that. So that makes us somebody sacred, somebody special, somebody set apart. We are a part of the priesthood of all believers. Hallelujah. And it gives us his Holy Spirit. When we receive Jesus Christ, he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and he sets us free from our fleshly desires so that we are new creations in Christ. And that old us is left back there. And the new us, the new you, is out there for the world to see. And the world no longer sees you. The world sees Jesus in you. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that get you on fire like the song said? On fire. I'm sure on fire this morning, so hold on. (laughs) Woo! So we're in this this season that leads from Jesus' time in, in the wilderness and his life to the resurrection. And I want to focus this morning on the opening words of our lesson that Bella read this morning from 2 Corinthians. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. 
as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled with God. God who made him with no sin became sin for us that in and through him we might become the righteousness of God. That's huge, isn't it? We would become the righteousness of God because of Christ, because of his defeat of sin. We now are the righteousness of God. We are his ambassadors, his representatives. Did you notice the urgency with Paul, which with Paul writes, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Then a few verses later, he says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of what? Salvation. There are three reasons he calls us to such urgency. If you want to follow along, you've got notes in your chair there. Or just listen. Listen with your heart this morning. There is a message here that you can apply to the rest of your life. So listen closely. The first reason for urgency has to do with brevity. Brevity. The brevity of life. This life is nothing but a blink of an eye. Can you blink your eyes? Nothing but blink of an eye, snap of a finger, compared to the eternity that God has in store for you. But I'm going to give you a mystery, okay? Um, a, a key to the mystery, a secret, okay? The more time you spend with your Savior in prayer, meditation, solitude, scripture study, He will compensate you by giving you insight into how you can save time. Make the most of your time so that it seems like you have more time, even though you have the same amount of time as everybody else. It's like, gosh, I'm able to accomplish and do so much more when I spend some time with Jesus, when I surrender my life to him. And so this 40 days can be that for you to set up a new pattern to where you get so close to him, you know he's right there that he compensates you and gives you more time, even though... You don't really have more time. It just seems like you do. I know it's true. My wife will tell you, it's amazing what God can accomplish through me in one day. It's phenomenal. If I was to list to you, and this is not a bragging thing, the things that were accomplished in my life just yesterday, and I still had time to play two and a half hours of tennis with this guy over here who's 75 years old and run a circle around most of us. Okay? Still had time to do that. And yet had time to come home and be with my wife and enjoy the evening and have dinner and pray and journal last night and get to bed for the first time in 30-some years before 11 o'clock last night. I'm serious. For the first time, I was like, wait a minute, I'm in the bed. It was like 10.30. That's like really early for me, y'all. My mama's saying, I didn't teach you that way, Steve. She's watching. She's like, what are you doing? You know? She went to bed when I was a kid at 8 o'clock. Some of you go to bed at 8 o'clock. Well, she taught school. She had to be up early in the morning, like 4, 35 o'clock, like my wife does, you know? But I feel rested. You know what it's like to feel rested? Some of you, you got sick and you were bummed about it, but it forced you to rest. It forced you to sleep. It forced your body to heal and catch up from all the years of abuse, of bad time management, of staying busy so much that you never really rested your body and got that recharge, that restart. Stephen Curtis Chapman's got a song. It's called The Next Five Minutes. Right now, I'm living the next five minutes like these are my last five minutes because I know the next five minutes may be all I have. 
What would you do right now if you knew you only had five minutes? Are you thinking about it? What would you do? Who would you contact? What would, what would happen in five, if you knew you had five minutes? Man, like a death sentence, isn't it? I've only got five minutes. Let me ask you another question. If you could only keep that which you thank God for this morning or today, what would you have right now? Uh, I mean, I didn't thank God for anything this morning. I just rushed to get here to church. Wow. I don't know. Or maybe you did pray this morning. Maybe you did thank God for His goodness and His grace and His mercy and His provision and for help. Maybe you did thank Him for your spouse, your, your family, your children, the opportunities that He presents to you. If you're not doing that, as your pastor, I'm telling you, do it every day. Thank Him. Give Him praise. Give Him accolades. But also pray for your family. Pray for yourself. I'm serious. We need to be in touch and in tune with God through the power of communication, through the power of prayer. You know, these are wise words from Stephen Curtis Chapman, the next five minutes. But he's a relatively young man still. He still doesn't know how fast time flies. Wait until you're in your 70s or your 80s, man. Time goes by fast, faster and faster. When we're five years old, a year seems like a long time. It's like for these kids here this morning, you know, Christmas seems like a long time away, doesn't it? But for us older folks, it'd be like here, like that. Easter, I mean, it's going to be here. I mean, we're already in Lent. April 4th is Easter. That's quick. Spring break's almost here. I mean, we're already two-thirds into the year. Where is the time going for us that are older? Young people are like, man, I wish it would hurry up and get over. You know, it's taking so long. No. Slow down. Slow me down, Lord. Everything's going too fast. When you're 70 years old, a year is one seventieth of your life. It's really, a year is really nothing at all. No wonder life seems to speed up as we get older. But when you're like five years old, you, it, time is not going fast enough because it's only, a year is only like one-fifth of your life. You know what I'm saying? Do you remember thinking like that? Probably not because you're older and you can't remember that far back. <laughs> the second reason for that urgency has to do with our nature. We are creatures of habit. Just think about what you've already done today. Your habits in the morning, you know? Some of you would be embarrassed to tell others about what your habits are in the morning, you know? I'm a little embarrassed to let you know how late I stay up at night, but I, I shouldn't be, you know? It's amazing what God can do even late in the evening if you will allow Him to. And you go to bed at night, and you can fist bump Him because of COVID, you know, or high-five Him. <laughs> because we did it, Lord. You and I accomplished greatness today. I'm just a nobody, but you made me a somebody. And I'm going to tell the whole world about your goodness. You know, the older we get, the harder it is to change. It is. It's been real hard for the church, the church to change. You know, the church has finally begun to realize that the Word of God, the gospel, doesn't change, but the way we present it, it does change. The way we draw people in, and it's not all about attracting people necessarily. The Word of God stands alone. 
It doesn't need all the bells and whistles to attract people. But how we present that, we present it in love. There was a day in my grandmother's generation, there was a thing called Bible beating. You remember Bible beating? Everybody owned a big old Bible. And I used to think, literally, that Grandma and others were going around beating people with the Bible. They didn't really do that. But I never could understand why you would say Bible beating. Don't Bible beat you. Huh? Please don't, Grandmama. Granddaddy's belt's enough, you know? I want to be beat by that big old Bible. She didn't want a big old Bible. But the world has changed. But it needs to transform. There's a big difference, don't you think? You know, we may have good intentions, but if we don't act on them now, chances are we never will. The road to hell is really paved with good intentions. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that soon. I'll, I'll reach out to her at some point. I'll write that letter next week. I'll make that call, you know, when I, when I feel like it. If you wait you feel like it, you're probably not going to do it. <laughs> Seriously. But you don't really know what tomorrow holds. God does. So if God prompts you to write that letter, make that call, there's an urgency. Do it. If you're driving down the road, like some of you do, and you've got your blessing bag, you don't know what a blessing bag is. We have those here at the church. We're out of them right now. But they've, they're filled with all sorts of practical things for people that are in need out on the streets. And you're driving down the road, and you see somebody, and maybe they're across the, the interstate there, and you're like, oh, that's too inconvenient. Go down the road, do the U-turn if it's, if it's legal. If there's a sign that says no U-turn, don't do it. I'm speaking from experience. Okay, do your U-turn, go back, sacrifice a little bit, and give them that bag. Don't say, I'll wait when I'm on the next side of the, you know, the other side of the road the next time. There may not be a next time. That person may die that night from frostbite, not having a place to live in the cold weather. I think of our friends out in Texas, what they're experiencing right now. They weren't ready for that, were they? But yet, have you seen how humanity with an urgency has reached out to help? God is active in this world, no matter what you may think, and he's moving through people like never before. So transformation is occurring, even though what you watch on the news may say differently. But isn't it interesting that even the media is beginning to succumb to goodness. Maybe not all the stations, but there are some that are presenting the stories that we need to see. The goodness of God moving through his people. A couple of verses later, Paul writes, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. So the third reason for urgency is that the world has a great need for our haste. The craziest job interview I ever experienced was when I was in high school. I was a sophomore in high school, and in the summer times, I worked with a home improvement agency. My neighbor owned a home improvement company called B&T uh, Home Improvement, and I worked for him in the summer times, but during the school year, I, I didn't have a, a job, and I wanted to make some extra money because I wanted to, you know, get me a car. And so I went to the Gangplank Seafood Restaurant, okay? It's in Florence, South Carolina. It's still there, by the way. And I, I went to interview for a position there. And I walked in, and Miss Sophie, the owner's wife, um, I went into her office, and I said, I'm, I'm interested in applying for a job. Here you have opening. She says, we need you right now. Can you start now? I was like, now? She said, yes. She said, we'll do the paperwork. And she said, we are, we are overwhelmed with business. There's an urgency. We need you to start right now. So I did. She gave me an apron, and I just did whatever needed to be done. I bust tables that day. I made at least 10 gallons of sweet tea 
with a lot of sugar, by the way. And I got praise for that. There you go. And I, I, um, I washed dishes. I even, I never made one before, but I'd been to Shoney's. I even made hot fudge cakes because that was the popular dessert. Did you, I didn't know this. You can buy those pieces of chocolate cake already. They're, they're, they already have them in the packs. I didn't realize this. I thought they cooked those things, baked them fresh. They don't do that, okay? Sorry, Shoney's, and the gangplank didn't either. But I remember you, you get it, and then there's a package, a little square ice cream, like a Klondike bar, but it didn't have the chocolate on it. Just square. You put it in the middle, put it together. You put whipped cream on the top and the cherry, and you bring those out to people. Oh, you put, no, no I almost forgot, hot fudge on the top of it, which was just Hershey's. And we just put it on the top, and you put it in the microwave, okay? And you serve, people go nuts over that kind of thing. I'm like, you don't understand. It was so easy. But anyway, so I learned to do all that stuff, and I just thought, this is crazy. I was mopping the kitchen, and within three days, I was on the fry line, frying stuff. I've got the burns. i got one right here to prove it. I was on the fry line. I ended up in the broiler room, which is the healthier room, you know, all the broiled stuff. But I'm going to be honest with you. Very few people ordered broiled seafood. In the South, something about calabash, something about fried, right, Sally? We all know about that, you know? But I remember I was just put right there in the urgency of the need of that restaurant. Think about for a moment about this past year. Think about the loss of life from this pandemic. Think about the loss of jobs. Think about the businesses that have failed. The world's got problems. It needs help right now. And it's hard to believe, economists say, that it's still hard to get people to go back to work. You would think that all the jobs would be filled, but yet there are still businesses who can't find employees. I'm like, what? I could talk a lot about that, but I'm not going to do that. You know what? I'm, most of you can read under the lines, can't you? It's interesting what's happening. There is an urgency, though. Listen to this. There was a survey taken just a few weeks ago Based on this pandemic, people's feelings since the middle of last year until a few weeks ago. Americans now are unhappier than they've been in 45 years, according to this survey done by the Barner Group. More unhappy now than they've been in 45 years. I mean, we know that just in our own community, don't we? Some of you attended a funeral yesterday of a young man. You think, why? What's going on? That's just one story. There are thousands of stories like that, folks. Depression, suicide, anxiety, fear. It's hit our nation, hit our world like a ton of bricks. People are more happy right now than they have been with recent wars and the recession that we had back 2011, 2012 in there. Isn't that something? What are we going to do about that? God has already given us the tools and the ability to do something about it. We just collectively have to come together as believers and do something. And I believe God has put Misty Creek at the forefront of that. What that's going to look like, not quite sure yet. But I want you all to be a part of it. I bring hope to a hopeless world. To what seems like a hopeless community right now when you look at it. Do you think there's a great and urgent need for us to spread the good news that God is alive and that he is available as a source of hope and joy even in dark times? You think there's an opportunity for that right now? Yes, a mighty opportunity. 
In the second place, notice the sacrifice that Christ has made in our behalf. Paul writes, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul, of course, is talking about Jesus' death on the cross. This is the supreme sacrifice so that our sins may be forgiven. Some of you who go way back will remember the TV show MASH. Anybody remember MASH? It still comes on TV land. You know, it's, it's a good show. We watched an episode the other night, part of it. Colonel Potter, remember him? How many of you remember him saying horse hockey? I wasn't allowed to say that word when I was a teenager. I'm an adult. I can say it all I want now. Horse hockey. I always thought that's when you ride on a horse and you... Anyway, anyway so Paul, of course, you know, he's, he's talking about sacrifice. Well, this episode of MASH here is an amazing uh, episode about sacrifice. The show was set in the Korean War, if you've not watched it before. In one particular episode, Hawkeye, you remember Hawkeye? He's on a bus with some South Korean refugees. The bus has come close to uh, a North, North Korean um, base. There are a lot of soldiers there. And so in order to avoid being discovered, the driver of the bus gets off the road and, and they hide behind some bushes. They're still within the earshot of the North Koreans and Hawkeye directs a South Korean mother to keep her infant from crying. The crying ceases and the danger passes. Later, though, Hawkeye discovers that the mother has actually smothered the child so that the group of refugees, refugees will not be betrayed. It has a devastating impact on Hawkeye's mind and emotions. He becomes emotionally distraught and he needs treatment. A mother sacrifices her child that others might live. That's almost more than you and I can bear to think about, isn't it? I wonder if the cross still has such impact. A father gives his life, gives the life of his son for humanity's salvation. Does that still move us? Sometime back, a pastor surveyed 100 members of a megachurch about the significance of the cross. This particular megachurch had no cross in the building whatsoever. There was no cross anywhere, no cross symbol anywhere in the building. But he was just curious. So he, he surveyed 100 members of this big old massive church, well-known church, and he asked, would it make any difference in your life if Christ had not died on the cross? Remember now, he asked this question of church members of this big church. Here are the results. 45 said they didn't think it would make any difference. 25 said they thought so, but when asked what the difference would be, they weren't sure. 20 said it made all the difference in how they lived and believed. 10 said... They didn't know because they didn't understand what the cross was all about. Is there something wrong with that picture? Only 20% felt the cross had made any difference in how they lived and what they believed. How sad is that? The cross is at the very center of the Christian faith. Folks, the message of the cross is foolishness for those who do not believe. But for us, it is life. It's the symbol of our, our salvation. Christ's crucifixion is mentioned in every book of the New Testament, except Philemon or Philemon. 
Second John and third John. I want to make sure you're still with us. I see some of you starting to drift, or maybe you're looking at your phone. You know, that statement, that's a statement, isn't it? About the centrality of the cross in the New Testament. The cross is the symbol of our salvation. And yet there are people who don't know what difference it makes, don't really know about the cross. I can listen to podcast messages of prominent, wonderful preachers and never hear Christ crucified. I want to say this to you out there loudly. Before there can be a resurrection, there must be a death. We must preach Christ crucified. We do know the rest of the story, most of us, that he resurrects. But we take it a little further when we realize that we too have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, we no longer live. Christ lives within us. We are new creations in Christ. The old is gone, the new comes forward. The cross is crucial to our Christian faith. This brings us to the last thing that needs to be said. We have a great debt, debt to be paid. Someone said long ago, they asked this question long ago, how will sinful humankind come to the Father? Jesus gave the answer, over my dead body. Yeah. Does it matter? It may not matter much to the world outside, but it matters to us. And it really does matter to the world. They just don't know it yet. But when they know it, there will be a revival. And that revival, that renewal is coming, folks. Matter of fact, you're all waiting on it. It is already here. It's amongst us already. Theologian Nels Faree he left Sweden for America when he was 13 years old. His family accompanied him to the train. He got on board, took a seat at the window so he could wave to his family. Bye, family! His mother's, his mother's lips formed words he could not hear. But as the train began to move, she ran along the platform shouting, Nels, remember Jesus! Remember Jesus, Nels! Remember Jesus! He could read her lips. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Jesus. During these next 40 days, we remember Jesus and what he did for us. Several years ago, I was talking with a group of girls after Ash Wednesday. They were in the youth group. There was a bunch of them. And they had shared with me that they had not yet decided what they were going to give up for Lent. I suggested that they give up their cell phone or at least give up texting or social media at first, they ruled this out immediately. They were like, no, I'm not doing that. Without a second hesitation, one girl said, she said, I just can't do that, Stephen. They called me Stephen. I can't do that, Stephen. I, I, I just can't do it. Anything with my cell phone, that's just off limits. In other words, her cell phone was too dear for her to give up. You know, I understand that. Many of you understand that. And yet I couldn't help but think, that if she did choose to give of her cell phone or something equally central to her life, she might realize on a whole new level what she already knows in her head, that in the end, she is not dependent on her things, not even her cell phone, but on God. Well, to my surprise, the girls, that group of girls, they did give up their cell phones. Would that happen today? I'm not so sure. But they did. This is like 12 years ago. They gave up their cell phones. 
completely. I thought, you know, if they're willing to do that for 40 days, how about the entire youth group? So I issued a challenge to the group. I sent out a group-wide text message to the parents and to the students, and I explained my reasoning for the radical request. And I also mentioned that this group of girls, about seven of them, they had given up their phones for 40 days. Which these are those kind of girls, you know what kind of girls I'm talking about. They're always, and they were giving it up. So people were like, I don't believe that. I don't believe those girls gave it up. I know those girls. They did it. You know what? That text message that I sent out, it worked. Nearly the entire youth group and some of their parents, more youth than the parents, I believe, gave up their cell phones for 40 days. There were some exceptions, you know, some exceptions. That technology fast, it paid dividends as our youth group developed an intimacy with the Holy Spirit that started a revival. That group, that year, those young people, I mean, they traveled all over the world. That was a year we, we took them to Canada on a choir tour. That was a year we went to Brazil. That was a year we went um, when Katrina hit so hard, and we went to Louisiana and, and Ocean Springs, Mississippi, and roofed houses. These kids could not serve enough and do enough. They were so inspired with the Holy Spirit. It was amazing. They made News Channel 11. Jerry Carnes interviewed them. It was amazing. All because they sacrificed something that was central in their life. Most of them, it was a phone to be able to focus more on what God was doing in their life and listen to the Holy Spirit. And it transformed them. That's amazing. If he can do that with teenagers that are pretty self-centered, just think what he can do for you if you give him his due time. Wow. Those Christian young people, to this day, many of them I stay in touch with, they're some of the most dynamic young adults I've ever known. And seeing what they're doing and how they're living their lives, it's like, thanks be to God. You know that scripture, and I quote it quite often, 2 Corinthians 15, 58, be therefore steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labors are not in vain. They were not in vain that night with those seven girls. They were not. Paid dividends to hundreds. You know, we've come to acknowledge the death of our monarch, our Savior and our Lord. We don't have black suits and ties to be ready to be thrown on at a moment's notice like the announcers for the BBC when the Queen passes away. But we have a far greater announcement to make than the BBC. St. Paul writes, We are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. God who made Him to be no sin to become sin for us so that in and through him we would become the righteousness of God. A few lines later, he adds, now is the day of salvation. You know, there is an urgency, an urgency about his words. He reminds us of what Christ has done on our behalf. We have a debt to be paid, a debt to be paid. And we pay it by reminding people who don't yet know him of his great love for them. Our king of kings has given his life in our behalf. What will we give up and give back in return? You know, at Jesus' baptism, the sky split open. 
the Spirit of God, which looked like a dove, descended and landed on Jesus. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, my beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. Then the Spirit sent Jesus into the wilderness, where he fasted and prayed for 40 days. During that time there, he was tempted tremendously by Satan. And he found clarity and strength to resist that temptation. You know, afterwards, after that time in the wilderness, he was ready to begin his ministry. He was ready to start his assignment, so to speak, which I'll talk about more next week. Maybe Jesus in that wilderness, he needed some time with God to to sort through the major changes happening in his life. He was still a young man, you know? He'd gotten a, a foretaste of things to come. And in that wilderness, in his flesh, maybe, and I think not just maybe, I think he was with God, determining what kind of man he was going to be. A sinless, selfless, blameless man of great integrity. A man who loved no matter what. A man who forgave no matter what. A man who associated with the least and the lowest and the dirtiest. That's the kind of man he was. It's the same kind of man that he's equipping the men in this room today to be. And the men watching and the men outside. Men, he's equipping you to be those kind of men. Women, he's equipping you to be kingdom women. To be strong, to stand up, to be firm in your faith. And not let anybody look down on you because you're a woman. You young people, you children, you teenagers. Remember Timothy? You know who Timothy is? He was Paul's protege. He was just a young guy. Jesus said, don't let anybody look down on you. Paul said that to Timothy by inspiration of Christ. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. But you set an example. You be an example for all. This 40 days is our opportunity to let God, not us, but let God determine what's next for us, what our assignment's going to be. Jesus found clarity in that wilderness journey. Afterward, he was ready, willing, and able to begin his ministry. He was equipped as he's equipping you right now, this very moment, in your seats, at home or outside. You know, Jesus needed some time to sort through things these major changes in his life. He needed to get away from family and friends and the familiar routine in order to see God more clearly. Perhaps we need to do that too. I don't think perhaps we do need to do that. We need that intentional time with God to search for direction and answers. Like Jesus, we need to take time to pray and listen for God. Why do I even observe Lent, Stephen? Why would I even do Lent? Where do I start? I think every one of us in here, everybody watching this morning, those outside, you're searching for something more, aren't you? I mean, this mediocrity, this average life some of you are living, God has so much more in store for you than that. An abundant life, Jesus says. Satan's come to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, you know what? If I'm for you, who can be against you? 
I've got your back. Surrender to me. Focus on me. There's an urgency to do that right now. Are you tired of running in circles? Not really living up to your potential? Maybe you lack purpose and passion for some reason? You're weak? You're tired? You're worn? It's pretty easy to get caught up in the drama of this world and give in to those things. Relationships can drain us. Family can. We know that work can. Our lives are filled with so many distractions that take us away from living the life that Christ intended for us to live. And we try to fill our lives with meaningless activities. 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 TV. Chatter. Alcohol. Other stimulants. Other irrelevant things. We run away from life and from God when we do that. Lent is a great time to breathe deep the breath of God. To reset. You know, sometimes your phone just freezes and it drives you nuts. You're like, what's wrong? And you're like, beating your phone's not going to do anything for it. You need to reset it sometimes. There's a secret to doing that. And then there are times you just need to go into the Sprint store, the AT&T store, Verizon, and just say, I'm a dummy. I don't know what to do. You know? I find that every day in my life, I need to realize that I'm a dummy, that I'm a nobody. If I base my life on my own talent, my own accomplishments, my own abilities, but if I base my life on Christ and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, then I'm a somebody. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm of sacred worth. I'm a minister. You're a minister. There's a greater call and purpose for me. It's not just the ho-hum of everyday activities. It's more than that. My life has meaning. Your life has meaning. And it has purpose. It's time to return to God and refocus our lives for a reset to be more in line with Jesus. This Lent journey is a 40-day trial run of changing, not just changing, but transforming your lifestyle and letting go and letting God take control of your heart. David, in Psalm 51, he says it beautifully. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. You know, the amazing thing that allowed Jesus to endure the temptation and the 40 days of fasting and nothing to drink, probably no rest in an arid climate, was that when he came out of the Jordan and he was baptized and that voice of God was pleased with him, he was filled up with the Holy Spirit. Luke's gospel tells that in Luke 4.1. He was filled with the Holy Spirit when he came out of the Jordan and the same Spirit never left him, led him into the wilderness. No matter what you feel like, no matter how paralyzed you may be by the past, the Spirit of God has never left you. God breathed His Spirit into you at the moment of conception when He formed you and molded you and knitted you in your mother's womb. He put Himself into you. When you receive Jesus, that Spirit becomes a living 
breathing reality. The inside reality becomes an outside reality. Today, before you leave this place, before you turn off Facebook Live, would you do this today? Would you just hold out your hands, lift up your hands? We call them holy hands because God inspires us and lifts our hands in worship of Him. Would you just lift your hands just for a moment? Would you be humble for just a moment? Remember, humility is not a weakness. Jesus was humble. Just for a moment. And would you repeat this prayer? You can repeat it out loud or just to yourself. This is a prayer that I pray every single day. King of kings, I love you. I struggle at times. I'm lost, weak, tired, and worn. I'm just a nobody. But because of you, I am a somebody. I am claimed. I am named. I have a purpose. I am worthy. I am forgiven. Lord, would you remind me right now that you have called me by name and I am yours. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you give me strength? Would you heal me of my infirmities? Would you make a way when there seems to be no way? I claim the victory today that with you, through you, in you, all things are possible. I am yours and you are mine. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen. We hope you were inspired by today's message. For more sermons from Misty Creek Community Church, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to stream your podcasts. You can also watch videos of our sermons and complete services on the Misty Creek Community Church YouTube channel. And while you're there, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. For more information about our church, including our mission, location, service times, and more, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. God bless you, and thank you for listening.